You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I just wanted to let you know that here at Glitch, we're hiring a design director. You know, we're growing every day, and we're really looking for a design director to not only help build a team of talented designers, but also to help deliver a unified experience to our audience of consumers, curators, and creatives. So if this sounds like something that's right up your alley, check out the show notes for a link to the job listing. Now let's hear a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Abstract. Design Workflow Management for Modern Design Teams. Spend less time searching for design files and tracking down feedback, and spend more time focusing on innovation and collaboration. Like Glitch, but for designers, Abstract is your team's version-controlled source of truth for design work. With Abstract, you can version design files, present work, request reviews, collect feedback, and give developers direct access to all specs, all from one place. Sign your team up for a free 30-day trial today by heading over to www.abstract.com. Now for this week's interview. We're talking to creative director Brian Cherry, owner of Cherry Fresh Designs in Philadelphia. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. I'm Brian Cherry. Um, I'm from Philadelphia. I am. Uh, I wear multi-hats. I'm a creative director. I'm also a senior front-end web developer at Nutrisystem okay. on a day basis. On, at nighttime, uh, I run a digital um, agency called Cherry Fresh Designs. All right. Talk to me about the work that you're doing at Nutrisystem. On a day-to-day basis, um, I'm like the team lead on like the email marketing. So um, what we do is we actually develop responsive emails. We also develop landing pages and develop a lot of like marketing campaigns throughout the flow of actually kind of like remarketing clients as well as, as well as targeting new clients. So my day-to-day basis would be actually developing the emails. It's actually taking emails and stuff like that from the creative, developing landing pages, developing basic your basic uh, corporate core pages that actually target various campaigns through Nutrisystem, Southeast Diet, uh, Lean 13, and a few other clients that we actually work with. We're actually under the Tivity Health banner, so we should be ramping up with more things under the Tivity Health banner within the next year. Okay, because I was curious if there were a lot of design needs at something like Nutrisystem. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I only hear about it when I see the commercial with like Marie Osmond talking about eating Nutrisystem meals or something. What what other design needs, aside from like the email marketing, do you have to do there or do you work with? Basic maintenance up for the upside. Actually, you, we actually develop marketing campaigns. Okay. We probably camp out maybe like five marketing campaigns per day, you know, and that's that's basically targeting clients, upselling to old, older clients, remarketing clients that actually are under the umbrella that actually used it and actually say, hey, you want to use it again? For example, we deal with things like diocese and stuff like that, which is like the window pocket of time you actually have to sell the people that are actually trying to get healthy. So what we do on a day basis, actually, we have it, it gets an influx of time throughout, I'd say, uh, 
November to March, mm-hmm. where we actually market hardcore to actually people that actually actually trying to lose weight and actually get healthy and things like that. So if you're running those marketing campaigns, are you, I'm assuming that's a perennial campaign, like you said, every November through March. But how are you, I guess, finding that information or is it through the website or any kind of other intake method? Yeah, we um we um intake through the website. We intake through uh, social media, uh, through through people that actually call in from the actual video commercials. Because like you said, you, you, you know, you know, Marie Osmond, uh, because that's the commercials and things like that. I know I know when I'm working out in the gym and stuff like that, I always see the commercials. So people call and use their phone. So we actually target the actual people that are actually coming to the website from or the actual calling the actual site um, to actually kind of like order and place orders and things like that. Okay. So how do you approach a new project? Let's say you've got a new campaign or something that you all need to roll out. Talk me through that process? Uh, well, the process we start off, we, we actually first defend, figure out if it's a actual, if it's, if it's in our male demographic or in our female demographic or in our gender neutral demographic. From that, we actually take either data based off of the categories that we put them in from, hey, uh, they run in this age range. Hey, they run in this actual eating plan, per se. Uh, like, hey, some people some people don't want to want to do keto. Some people want to do uh, low low fat. Some people don't want to um, or have gluten allergies. Some people are diabetic. So we actually have to take into those type of variables when we're actually kind of like marketing to the actual people that actually need the actual products. So what would you say it takes to be a designer at Nutrisystem? It takes creativity, actually understanding what hierarchy, visual hierarchies and things, because we actually do so many things of targeting price points and percentages and discounts and things like that. So you actually had to know, you have to know visual hierarchy, color concepts based off of the actual, actual ads that we're actually running. So it's basically ran similar to like your average creative agency where we actually get creative requests from the business office. And they, uh, from that, we actually do project planning, sprint planning, things like that to actually figure out how we're actually going to target and execute these type of things. It sounds like there's a lot of data involved with it, especially when you were talking about the retargeting. Now, that's something that I do hear about mostly through web ads. Like, for example, if you visit something on Amazon that like places a cookie or something on your computer, so then when you visit other websites, that same thing that you saw keeps popping up in other ads and things like that. It's interesting how much data goes into it. I didn't realize that. Data is king if on anything, you know, from, from actually Amazon, from Facebook marketing, from your, your basic mom and pop shop. Uh, everybody, there's the design doesn't stop when you actually when you first launch your website. It, it actually continues when you actually get that sale and actually target to other people. Now, outside of Nutrisystem, you have your own design studio. Can you talk to me about that? Sure. Um, I started Sherry First Designs maybe in like 1998 when I was at Hampton. It wasn't called it that back then, but it was it, the the foundation of it started there from me actually helping kids with class and they say, "Hey, yo, um, I need an illustration for a project. Can you do it for me? Hey, I need I need something designed for a project. Can you do it for me?" And you know, that kind of gave me that that entrepreneurial spirit of actually saying, "Hey, um, I can actually make money as an artist." So from that, I started kind of like transitioning from print design to actually web design and then started consulting and contracting for companies like Geico, Comcast, Pfizer, and a few other other companies throughout my years that actually led me to where I'm actually at now. And you say you've been doing this since 98, so that's over 20 years. Yep. Wow. Congratulations. Thanks. 
It's been a struggle, but as, as it's, I don't feel. I feel like I don't know how to do anything else but be a creative. You know, I can I can run a business. I'm busy business savvy, but the heart of me is a creative that actually likes to get money at the same time. I I don't know how to like come up with a cool fly name for that, but that's full up what I feel like I am. How has it been a struggle? I'm curious. Uh, just trying to evolve. Okay. You know, because again, think about it. Um, we're talking about '98, so Web 1.0 was around at that time. So, um. You had things like where everybody at, at one time wanted everything done in Flash. Mm-hmm. And something like Flash to me was actually my uh, gateway drug and actually programming. Okay. The cool fly stuff that I could actually do with Flash led me to saying, hey, uh, wait a minute. Flash is not only like a plug and play cool thing. It's object oriented. So it kind of helped me become that hybrid between a designer and a developer, per se. Mm-hmm. And it took me just kind of continuously learning on the fly and actually get building the proper experience that I need to actually kind of like, you know, run the business, get clients and things like that. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of clients realize that there's a lot of research and development and trial and error that has to go into really when you have a design studio, you can't stay stagnant. Um, right. I think, and I, I know this because I ran my own studio for nine years. So I know that clients kind of can pigeonhole you into one thing. If there's one thing you do for them, really well and they expect that you will continue to do that thing forever. Like when I started out, I did a lot of email newsletters, mm-hmm. which I think were were good back, you know, back in the day. And I eventually ended up kind of shifting to still doing email newsletters, but doing it as part of like an overall kind of marketing campaign. So we would do it if you also had a website and a campaign that went through it. And then we only worked with one vendor. We worked with MailChimp. Um, and so even just taking that and trying to evolve it along those lines, we ended up losing customers that way because they only wanted like the one thing that you did and they never wanted it to change or they never thought you would change from it, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's some, it's sometimes the customer is always right, but sometimes, some kind, sometimes the customer doesn't necessarily know the answer. They just feel like they're right. And they're, <laughs> they're, 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 we stuck on, they're, they're, we stuck on something such as, Hey, we want to do it this way, but we're like, no, like. Stop! Stop sending faxes. Um, we got email. You know, yeah. the, like like to use that as a metaphor. Like you know, at the time people people were faxing things and printing things out, but it's like, well, like who has a fax machine now? And versus when I can just send them, send you a random email or a text message to actually get an answer, yeah. or get some data, or get like send a form or something like that. You have to evolve as well as the people around you have to evolve as well. That makes sense. So how do you, I guess, educate your clients then in that way? I pretty much try to keep it very simple. I try to explain them, to them certain things. You know, I try to I try to use what I've learned through my years of going to Hampton, going to the Academy of Arts, uh, and ex- explain to them that design is not painting a picture. Design is is part psychology, part visual. You know, for example, um, just a color contrast on something as like a button. You know, where it's like, let's say, for instance, if I have a yellow button and it's white uh, and the background behind that is white, nobody's going to see that. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of educate them on call to action, so how certain fonts may fit into and things like that. Because, you know, you might get somebody like, yeah, I want to I want to find that's glitter. But I'm like, how's that going to how's that glitter going to translate if it's reduced to like the size of like a logo on a pen? Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to see that. So you have to kind of be able to actually explain to your clients what's going to work for them, and how it's going to work. 
you know, and then just come with some type of happy medium to actually help them and, and educate them on things that will actually have, have them for be successful when it comes to actually visual things like that. So since starting your business, what would you say have been the three most important things that you've learned? Communication is the, is the first. And that's because um, I used to be one of those, you know, uh, wanted to be one of those mad scientists like myself in a room and just create type of type of individuals. You know, I was more on the uh, introvert scale and now somewhere I'm actually more in, on the ambivert scale because I've had to force myself to actually speak to people and communicate to people, not just necessarily via an email, actually maybe a face-to-face meeting or actually via like a Skype or something like that in order to actually get the correct results. Mm -hmm. The second would be, uh, I guess, like determination and hard work, you know, kind of actually making sure that uh, you see the task through, you're actually making sure that the task is executed correctly and you're actually focusing on the actual goals and needs of that actual client. The third thing would be organization and time management. And that's that's organizing your life for your business. That's, that's actually trying to have a work-life balance so that, so that you can actually be healthy. You can actually travel. You can do fun things. Um, and you're not like burning yourself out as a designer, you know, because sometimes we want to spend like three days on a project, but we have to understand that it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be right for that actual scenario. And these are the things that I learned from actually um, being a software developer, um, where we're actually planning out sprints and planning out tasks that actually actually meet an actual end goal. Okay. What are the next steps of growth for your business? Sure. The next step, next step would be actually expanding on the business now and actually kind of like ramping up so that the end goal would be from here now would be actually expanding to actually have, have more growth in my actual team. Sometimes I'm a one-man band, but a lot of times I also actually have help. My goal would actually be to uh, actually have a full-fledged agency where I am actually have a super big staff. And that staff actually does like the super cool stuff that I want to do, you know, working for companies, maybe like Nike, maybe like uh, big, big scale nonprofits and anybody else that actually feels like they would actually need what I provide. Okay. All right. Now talk about where you grew up. Now, I know that we've spent a lot of time just right now talking about your current work, but I'm interested in learning about you from from the beginning. So where did, where did you grow up? I grew up in Philly. Um, I started out as an artist, you know, just kind of like making my way. I've always been creative. You know, I used to draw stuff for family, draw stuff for school. Got inspired by my man, Bob Ross, like pretty much every, every artist out there, you know, on a Saturday morning, just kind of like just saying, Hey, um, I want to do this type of stuff. Art was always just something that stuck with me. Um, and I guess when I saw like boomerang and things like that, I was like, Oh wow, there's, there's a niche for actual, I want, I want to be an ad agency. I want to do this type of third. I want to be very creative. So it sounds like design was always kind of a big part of your childhood then. Yep, definitely was. Okay. You know, from, from actually designing jean jackets for fan, friends, because my, my mom was like, oh, no, I'm not paying that money for a jean jacket. So I drew, drew on my own jean jacket yeah. and everybody everybody liked it. So I started doing that type of stuff. When did you know that this could be something you do as a career, though? Maybe... Senior senior year in high school, I had um I had my first graphic design class in, in, in high school. Um and we actually had Illustrator. We had like the very first version of Illustrator, but this it, this was more of a um the old school, like you learned how to actually kind of like uh white strip and do cutouts the old school way. So it wasn't how it is now where I could just crank up with Photoshop and actually just kind of like use the pencil and just kind of like do a cutout. You actually had to like do the stripping, you had to actually do the paste paste ups and and other things like that to actually getting things set up for printers and stuff like that. Okay. Up until then, I thought I was just going to be an architect, but then I kind of like was like, no, nah, um, 
graphic, you can do this, all this type of stuff with graphic design. And then from there, like me going to Hampton, I got there and I said, oh, so wait a minute. I can actually build a website. I can actually do like uh, interactive graphics. I can do there. There was so much stuff that I, I learned that I could actually do in the uh, in the realm of actually graphic design. Which now led to like me actually doing software development and building apps and stuff like that because there's always there needs there's always some design element needed in life. Think about it from a stop sign. That's actual visual design right there. You know, a, a don't park. That's a, that's another element of visual design. We're actually developing icons and things like that to actually building websites where you're not making the user think. You're actually helping them with the the visual flow, the actual site, and actually how they actually go through the actual site from placing an order to or just getting basic information, like maybe building a quiz or something like that. So I'm curious. I mean, you're in Philly. What drew you to Hampton? One of my favorite artists was there, and I, and for what I understand, I had a friend like like older people that were in my church. They were like, "Yeah, you should go. To, you should try it out." Um, John Bickers was one of was one of my favorite artists. Like him and Ernie Barnes, like a, as a kid, they were like. One, one and two to me, then maybe Basquiat, then Andy Warhol. And when I learned that John Biggers actually went to Hampton, I was like, oh, wow. So that, going to Hampton, going out, going things like high school day, um, and seeing like this atmosphere that you feel about, that, that you thought was, was part school days, but it's nothing like school days because it's actually a, a lot cooler, <laughs> if I should say, um, where you're around all these strong like individuals, smart, beautiful, funny, just trying to be better parts of the actual world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I feel like I have to interject here about school days since it was based off of Morehouse, where I went to school. But no, 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 no. <laughs> We're probably saying the same thing for the simple fact that uh, – yeah, this wasn't it. It wasn't a different world, it, even though yeah. Hampton was supposed to be. I mean, a different Hillman was supposed to be based off of like the Black Ivy League and stuff like that. But yeah. when I got there, I learned there was a lot more to it. There's a, it was a lot, lot more culture. There's a lot. There was a lot room to where I'm pretty sure how you experienced it at Morehouse, where iron sharpened iron. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And and, and I know that Hampton also has a really a strong legacy of art and design. I mean, we've had a few former guests on the show who went to Hampton, uh, most notably uh, Douglas Davis, Nikita Pope. I was there. I was probably like a freshman when Doug, Doug and Nikita Pope were there. Really? Wow. Yeah. Look at that small yeah. world. Uh, Delany West, Joel Simmons. Uh, actually, we did an article last year. This is back when we had our blog. We did a whole article about the art and design program at Hampton from a Hampton alum. So, I know that that there's just a lot of history there in the school about art and design. So it sounds like you were able to pick up on a lot of that while you were there. Definitely. It was definitely it was definitely like a gladiator school. We were coming from the world. Like, again, I was there with Doug and Nikita when they were freshmen. So it was like we were getting part of the computer part of it. But we were Mm -hmm. also still learning the old school like parts of it that kind of like helped me uh, work and work with specialty arts and manufacturing companies and stuff like that to where you you thought you might have been drawing all the time, but no, you still need to learn AutoCAD. You, at the time, you need, had to learn AutoCAD, but then we learned uh, Illustrator, and now Illustrator is, is 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 the actual norm besides AutoCAD and Corel Draw. Mm-hmm. So you had those, you had to learn those various techniques as well as you know have some type of balance, some type of time management, and just kind of like have your fun and enjoy life at the same time. Yeah. That makes sense. So you go to Hampton, you get your degree, you graduate. Tell me about what that early career was like once you got out there. Do you do you feel like Hampton like prepped you 
for the working world once you got out there and started becoming a designer? It prepped me because Hampton taught me how to hustle, you know, and that and that, that means, hey, uh, I'm a black entrepreneur. I threw parties down there and stuff like that. So having to actually talk to people on a day-to-day basis, actually have pitch myself, deal with the rejection of, of not getting jobs fresh out of school, but, but still being able to kind of like find, find my way and get money through art. As an entrepreneur, the foundation and the tools that was taught me again, I learned I learned Illustrator, which actually led me to my first job mm-hmm. working for a specialty arts and manufacturing company. But that job, actually, I was able to build my, my very first corporate website through them because I was like, hey, um, you guys don't have, necessarily have a web presence. Can I um, do website? So he was like, yeah, you still have to do your your normal core task of actually developing these the artwork and the paste of the mockups that are needed. But in the meantime, when you're free time, go away and build a website. For them. Mm-hmm. So it helped me get the experience. It helped me kind of like build a foundation to never quit, never say die. And don't say can't, say why can't you? Yeah. And you did some agency work for a good while, too. Yep. What did that experience teach you? It taught me foundation. It, t- it taught me the foundation and the fundamentals that you don't necessarily learn inside of an actual like classroom. Uh-huh. It taught me how to kind of like... To understand at the time when I was working for print, to understand between pixels, picas, and inches, and things like that, as far as like typesetting and stuff like that, that you that you might think that hey, uh, I want to create the next source. You need to know fundamentals of actually developing typesetting and stuff like that to actually the to build the actual magazine. Those type of things back in the day. Yeah, it helped me actually expand everything to where I am now. So where it's like I'm, I can actually code, I can actually still design, I can actually art direct, I can create creative direct, and actually kind of like just execute something on par. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think certainly for a lot of us that started designing, like in the '90s, like that, a lot of this stuff had to be self-taught. So we had to be these like jack of all trades in a way, you know there wasn't the option to just be a specialist on one type of thing, which I think is kind of, it's very different from now with like job roles and things like that. A lot of people are specialized into just doing one thing. And then like from our, you know, just from the the school of how we came up with learning and stuff, we had to know everything. You had to know how to code and you had to know how to, to do visual design and typesetting and, even I know even with some of the projects I did, I also had to write. I had to write. I had to edit. Like I had to be yeah. the whole like design department in a way. Yeah, you, you had to kind of learn to be the actual firm. Yeah. Some people talk about people and they're saying like um you shouldn't be a jack of all trades. But you know us as smart, intelligent black black brothers, mm-hmm. you still had to learn how to be twice as good. This is true. So this is very true. So actually having to learn how to wear many hats and actually executing those hats was something that was great for the fundamentals of actually learning how to do something because it's like you can't necessarily like you know how I'm coming to America he was like yeah um like I'm, I'm mopping up now and pretty soon I'm working fries like you, you gotta learn how to mop in order to drop the fries you know what I'm saying <laughs> then make yourself to the cash yeah. register <laughs> oh man I, I had a feeling you were gonna go there when you said that too Actually, I'm going to take like a slight detour. So speaking of like, you mentioned Boomerang is kind of being an inspiration for you. By chance, did you see the new Boomerang series that was on BET this year? Yep. What did you th- What did you think of it? I- I'm really curious because I haven't really talked about this on the show. And I want, I oh my God, I so wanted to talk about it. Like I wanted to do like a one-off episode where we discussed the whole season. So I haven't really went into it. But have I- I'm curious if you've seen it and if you have, what are your thoughts on it? I like, I like the actual play on a lot of stuff that they actually did some 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 of the actual um episodes they 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 hit the mark some of them didn't but that's like most tv shows 
that makes sense. I hated it. I hated it. Did not like the show at all. I think, to me, I feel like they were really coasting off of nostalgia that people would know. I mean, of course, Boomerang is part of, quote unquote, the culture in that it's a movie that we've all seen, I think, particularly for us that are in the creative field. It was like the first movie that we saw where we saw people that looked like us that like dressed fly and that went to nice places and like they were making money being creative. That was like the first time we really got to see that. And I didn't like the show because I don't feel like they really showed a lot of that. Like they showed like definitely the romance part, you know, with Bryson and Simone and, and whatever, like they showed that and they had the, you know, like extra characters and things. I didn't really get to see, Cause I mean, yes, Boomerang was a a you know romantic comedy, but like you actually like saw them working. You saw like what a pitch meeting was, and yeah, the, the the romantic comedy was it was Seinfeld. I should say before it was Seinfeld was available. As far as it was a show about nothing, they just happened to work in, inside of um. It was a movie about nothing. They just happened to work through an ad agency, and uh, the romantic aspects of how life goes on at an ad agency which was the dopest, dopest thing alive at the time for me as a kid. The show, though, I felt like they could have done more than that. Like, I felt like we saw it at the beginning, like the first episode, and then we saw, I want to say maybe the next to last episode where there was like this Me Too part and the Marcus Graham agency was closing. And I'm like, yeah. we didn't really get to see him do any work. It, like, that was one of my, one of my gripes with the actual show. It was, was kind of like, they tried to throw so many, like, modern pop yeah. topics. Yeah, When they didn't have to do that, they could have just told the story. Yeah, it was That was the thing with it. I was just like, I was like, we, like... I, I, I get some of, some of this stuff is dope, but like we don't necessarily need to see this to tell a story. Yeah, and I would think I would think not only that I feel like they did a poor job with, and we'll we'll get back to the the interview part, but like I also feel like they did a really poor job with some of the characterization of people that weren't on the show. Like for example, the whole subplot for about two or three episodes where Bryson and Simone might be brother and sister. Because Jacqueline was like, oh, well, I don't know who your daddy is. It might be Marcus. And I'm like, would she really be like that after 20 years when she was never like that in the movie? Like, that feels really petty. Right, right, right. I didn't like how they made made, uh, Drew from Everybody Hates Chris because he was like the coolest (laughs) young boy ever. Like, then he gets the boy right. He's like, oh, no. Like, what's going on? Like, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, when I heard the pitch from it, they were like, yeah, it's going to be, you know, from like the black millennial perspective and it's going to be about work and about career. And I'm like, no, it's it's about basically relationships. I thought it was going to at least have some more of that angle in there besides like Simone trying to like get the chick from Instagram from the strip club, like trying to get her client. Like it just felt really off in general. It felt like it was trying to be Atlanta's little sister. Like it was yeah, trying to be yeah. like. Marietta, in a way. Yeah, <laughs> you hit it right on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> I know people are going to be like, they love the show, but whatever, I didn't like it. So <laughs> Earlier you were talking about uh, not, you know, like learning in the classroom and like being able to go out there and, and work in the working world. But later on, you did end up going back to school and you got your master's degree. Talk to me about that decision. I knew that, at, again, you got to remember, um, YouTube wasn't as when I when I went back to grad school, YouTube wasn't as big as it is. Mm-hmm. Like to piggyback off what you were talking about, how trying to find those resources 
it got to a point where I was in Barnes and Nobles and I was like, I'm spending too much money on books that I don't necessarily, they're, they're going to give me a, a tutorial. Uh-huh. I can follow that tutorial, this, that, and the third, but I need more structure and foundation. I would copy the tutorials out of those books. <laughs> you mentioned Barnes and Noble. I used to live across the street for one. I would go in there and like go into one like quiet corner and just be taking pictures. And like, I'll go back right, and, and right. figure it out later. Yeah. Right. So, so, so it, it got to the point where I was just like, um, I feel like I need more and I feel like I can, I can do more. So that, again, I was trying, I was trying to be like the next flash animator, like software engineer type of guy. And then midway through my actual matriculation at the Academy of Art University, the first iPhone drops and it's just like, oh yeah, by the way, people are, now we got an iPad. Yeah. So I'm actually, I'm actually working for building, building these, these various flash widgets at uh, Geico and for Pfizer and they're all interactive and e- e-learning based off of the sk- stuff that I learned via Flash and actually kind of like learning XML and all types of other stuff that I looked at it and it was like, okay, it got to one point where I got an assignment when I was working at Pfizer and it was like, yeah, uh, we want you to edit this this widget in Flash, but also we need you to kind of like create a mobile version of it mm. now. So that kind of... It was like, all right, I know, I know a little bit of JavaScript. I know a little bit of um, anything else I can learn. So that was, it was. I, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there, like, wow, like, yeah, I have to change because at the time I wanted to build. I, I was, I had loved Nike stuff so much. I wanted to build like you know those those cu- shoe customizers and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I did my whole thesis on it. Like I pitched it. Everything was a go. I was gonna do it in Flash, just that in the third. The next, you know, it was like, yeah, nobody's gonna be using Flash in the next year. So you need to do something else. I, again, I was lucky enough to where I was like, okay, I can pivot on it enough, and I know enough JavaScript, enough HTML5 at the time to actually kind of like pass and actually do that. But yeah. I feel like that was one of the things that grad school taught me that you should never be afraid to pivot. I mean, Apple really killed Flash. I don't know if that's something that a lot of designers really even like keep in mind. I mean, don't get me wrong. A lot of what Apple does tends to change what the design landscape becomes when like you said the iphone came out there were smartphones before that but there were none that i think put uh the web in such an easy to use package for everyone i mean because i exactly. remember like you remember wap wap i remember yeah. <laughs> oh <Yeah>. my god <laughs> i remember like having to make wap pages and stuff like that so you still had ways where mobile information was being put forth on a phone but it wasn't in the context that Apple did it, where it was like, oh, this is my web browser on a phone. Right. Whereas before, if you use like, I don't know, like a Trio or a Palm Pilot or something, it's like, oh, this is a web-like experience on my phone. You know, it's a totally different right. thing. Even with other things that that Apple has done um, uh, in early versions of iOS with the skeomorphism. So you had everything kind of with these different textures and stuff like that. Like the leather had a little pebbly thing to it or wood had a grain to it. Like there's a lot of yeah. stuff that Apple's done that's kind of changed the game. And I think really putting like, I mean, really like putting Flash six feet under was a huge step in the industry. It was huge. Because again, at that time we were we were dealing with like Web 2.0 and Web 3.0 was, was starting, but it wasn't how it is now, mm-hmm. you know, to where, and, and, that was the beauty of, of me actually being able to actually learn how to pivot and actually uh, knowing a little bit of code at the time. Yeah. 
you know, because it was like I was able to be like, okay, I can kind of like I can do this through CSS three, and I can do this through JavaScript, and I have no issues actually kind of like executing what I needed to execute. So that was one. That's one takeaway from it. I was like, never, never be afraid to pivot because things. The thing about evolution is life is always evolving, and you got to actually evolve with it sometimes. Yeah. Now, being in the industry for so long, what is the next wave or next trend that you see? like coming over the horizon more more mobile first design as far as when it comes to actually developing websites and apps and stuff like that you still have a lot of illustrative type stuff and and stuff going away from the skeuomorphism i guess just to make sure things are cleaner sleek and things like that you're going to you're going to see a lot more branding because we're getting we're we're getting into the the realm of where you're going to have voice coming around where it's like uh yo alexa um I want a cheeseburger versus your Alexa. I want mm-hmm. five guys, you know, so you're going to have, you have to deal with that type of stuff. So branding is going to be something that's, that's on, on the rise, uh, mobile first design and your basic format of actually still needing other design elements throughout life. Now let's switch gears here. I know, again, we've been talking a lot about your work and everything like that, but I want to go more into just kind of you as a person. Now you mentioned growing up in Philly, moving around a lot. What do you think helps fuel the ambitions that you have because i mean you have a regular nine to five and you've got this business that you've had for 20 years where does the drive to do that come from the philly hustle uh actually you know understanding that you should always keep moving um it's always better to have your your hands in more pots than other you know for the most part it's always great to have more than one string it's always good to find a way to actually protect your assets always good to actually find ways to actually where you bring more money in than you actually spend who are some of the people that influence you i'm old school as far as design you know i got you got your paul Rands, you got uh you got basquiat you got john biggers you got uh the greats like jay-z's the greats like everybody you know mike malcolm x martin luther king just to actually kind of like be a better person um those are some of the people that actually influence what would you say you're the most excited about at the moment right now? Is it regards to like your business or design or anything like that? I have two great opportunities as far as like two clients that I'm actually working with now that I am very excited about like what they're actually trying to build. So I'm I'm very excited that I can actually help them as, as far as actually build those type of things. And once the once they are actually launched, I can actually speak about them more. Okay. Do you feel like you're satisfied creatively? Yeah, because I've always been a doodler, so it's like anything that I can do to actually kind of feed that creative need, I actually do. So um, I, I always feel like I can always get better because mm-hmm. we can always get better. Is there like you know? a dream project that you have that you'd like to work on or like to do one day? Yeah, I, I love to work on a, on, a, on, a, on a big Nike ad. I love to work um, for a big ad on somebody like the UNCF. Um, you know, that actually helps social change, mm-hmm. those type of ads. You know, so it would be great for like a governor or like a big candidate politically wise. I know I know you said you've done I know listen to your podcast a few times. You talked about like working with political people. Um I've worked for the few um in, in the actual city and I was happy to actually help them with the last few elections. Yeah. But I also I actually wanna um help change it. I'm actually working with a client now called uh Progress Plaza. Uh-huh. Progress is the very first mall in in the United States African American home. Okay. We've actually just launched that actual project and I'm actually Happy that we can actually kind of like preserve the history as well as keep them going because they are the people that actually end that organization are, are are direct reflects of me as a person because they're they are people that were, were role models and uh, mentors in my life 
that actually taught me to not only, hey, get a nine to five or become an entrepreneur, but actually give back to your community, help the community and actually help create change in the world. What advice would you give to somebody that's like listening to this episode and they want to follow in your footsteps and do what you're doing with working a nine to five, but also doing this on the side and getting involved in social change and stuff. What advice would you give? Learn, learn how to focus, master, master, uh, master some steps, actually get out there and do some things. You know, don't, don't just sit there and read a book and then continuously read the book. Like I know, I know, I know for me, and I'm pretty sure with you, um, how you learn design. Uh, it wasn't just physically just reading a book. It was, it was kind of like a science per se. It was like you had, you had to learn the book, but you actually had to kind of do a creative lab for these. It was projects. a lot of, it was a lot of trial and error. It's so funny you mentioned that because someone asked me today, um, because we're doing our our three hundredth episode event uh, this evening, and someone was like, um, "How did you stay so consistent? Like, what books did you read?" I was like, "There's no books for this stuff. You just get out there, you do it. You have trial and error. You make systems. You outsource what you can. I mean, like and." plan for the rest like it's there's no there's no book that's going to teach you how to like be consistent or anything like that you know what i mean like you have to i think you have to have the love for it, which it certainly sounds like you do you have to have a love for this and then yeah. just the drive to to do it like i've i've never taken a design course which is funny because i've taught design courses but like even with books i was just like snapshotting books now, i have design books at home that i've read and stuff like that but even then i wasn't like book open at the computer step-by-step -step things it was taking what you learned and then just applying it in different ways and seeing how it works so exactly. yeah no no webinar is actually going to show you how to do this no book is actually going to show you how to do this you can oh god there was <laughs> there was definitely a time in my business where i was like attending so many webinars and stuff thinking that that was going to help me and i'm like no like you have to take that knowledge and apply it it's not just hearing it from people or reading it like you have to actually do it exactly i, re I remember i reached out to you maybe like four or five i remember years ago. that i remember that because 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 <laughs> um like i had actually just just finished the 10k class and you were like uh, i don't really know if i want to do it i can't afford it <laughs> you know <laughs> i remember that yeah <laughs> oh man so what's next for you like what do you want to do in the next like five years what's up what's on the horizon for you Five years. I have a I have a brand that I'm actually working on, and I'm actually trying to build um, as far as like um, mm -hmm. a clothing brand. So I want to kind of I, I kind of want to launch that and get that off the ground. Um, but I also want to actually I actually have a nonprofit that I'm actually creating called Life Career. Okay. And what Life Career? I have, it's me and a couple couple of of, of my um, friends from Hampton and a few uh, from the actual city of Philadelphia. And what we're actually trying to do is we're actually trying to actually do similar to what you're actually doing with Revision Path. Is this a different thing as far as you're actually showcasing black designers? Mm -hmm. We're actually trying to showcase that there's other things in life you can do except for rap and play sports. Yeah. You know, if you if you want to play a sport, you can, or if you want to be into sports, you can be an agent, or you can be the cameraman behind that that works for ESPN. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or there's a there's a lot of other opportunities that are going to open up themselves up for you as far as becoming things because one one of the things about me was uh, as a kid I remember being in basketball camp and this was this was my first lesson in, in like selection in life as 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 all where it was like yeah uh, we picked all you guys here these are your, these are your stars they, they gave us one of those uh, I don't know if they ever they did this to you at Morehouse uh, but it, one of those look to your left look to your right. Uh, 
when you play like, Gonna Make It type, yeah. type scenarios. I got one. I got my first lesson in that in basketball camp in like 89. And I was like, uh, okay, I can try to get better, but they already told us that only two of us are, are going to go to college mm-hmm. and nobody, none of us in here are going to the NBA. So I'm in there in the camp and I would, you know, do my, do my drills and everything like that. But I found a computer lab when I was in there. So the date, the time that I didn't have any games, I was sneaking off into the computer lab, just kind of like learn, learning on the f- first max, actually kind of like drawing and all types of mm-hmm. other stuff that I could do, you know? So I, I say that because basketball, it led me to art because I I, I, I knew I wasn't going to be six five. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I could jump a little bit. I had an okay jumper, but I already knew that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not walking on nobody's division one. So I need to kind of like learn how to do something else. And that's where art has has done to me and it's that's what life career is going to is going to do with other people you know we're going to actually say that hey there there are these opportunities hey you want to you, you want to become a clothing designer uh let's kind of like we we're partnering with this organization and we're going to actually show you how show the kids how to actually make money as a clothing designer how to generate ads how to develop ads how to how to do things that actually give you soft skills and strong skills to actually become better people Nice. Well, just to wrap things up here, Brian, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Sure. You can find me at cherryfreshdesigns.com um, on Instagram, Facebook, uh, and LinkedIn. You can just search Brian Cherry on LinkedIn. All right. Sounds good. Well, Brian Cherry, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I know people are going to listen to this and they're going to wonder, are we related? Exactly. <laughs> and I thought that too, because I looked at your picture and I was telling TK this. I was like, he kind of looks like he could be like a cousin or something. We, probably we might be. You know, I told there's a lot of black cherries out there. It could be. But but no, uh, I, I think it's great that not only are you doing like your nine to five work and of course certainly using that to to further your professional career, but that you've also kept up with your business and that you're doing that to kind of give back to the community and everything. I think it's important for people to realize that as you've so eloquently said, like we can do more things with designers than just like make a flyer or design a website or something. There's ways that we can take our skills and put them out there and use them for good and use them out there in the world. And it certainly sounds like that's what you're doing. So thank you again so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thoughts of love are in your mind. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Brian Cherry and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Brian and his work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash revision path. This episode is brought to you by Abstract, design workflow management for modern design teams. Spend less time searching for design files and tracking down feedback and spend more time focusing on innovation and collaboration. Like Glitch but for designers, Abstract is your team's version controlled source of truth for design work. With Abstract, you can version design files, present work, request reviews, collect feedback, and give developers direct access to all specs all from one place. Sign your team up for a free 30-day trial today by heading over to www.abstract.com. Revision Path is a Glitch Media Network podcast and is produced by Deanna Testa and edited by Brittany Brown. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. We're also powered by Simplecast, the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Make sure you check the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. 
And if you liked this episode, then please let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes about a minute or so to do, but it really, really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.